Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner and Founder and President of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Of the six areas of financial planning, today we're going to be talking about estate planning again. Seems to be a lot of different topics within estate planning. It's a very broad subject. And with me today is Stacy McConnell, an attorney over at Lamb Mackerlane. And what we would like to do is today talk a little bit about estate administration. Uh, estate administration is also very important if you don't do it right. And this is a perfect example where nobody uh, plans to fail. People fail to plan. And so what we're going to talk about today is some of the things associated with implementing the administration of an estate, but things that you could think about in advance so that it makes the back end process a little bit easier. So good morning and hello. Thank you for joining us, Stacy. Thanks for having me, Mike. Please take a moment if you could and just tell me a little bit about yourself and your firm. Sure. We're a firm of about 40 lawyers. Uh, we have offices in Westchester, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, and Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. And it's really a broad service law firm. But I am head of the estate and trust department. So that's why I'm here to talk with you about estate administration. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you for joining us. And as our goal with every show is to be able to provide our viewers with the opportunity to learn something. So um, please tell me a little bit about what you do from overall estate planning, and we can dive in a little bit more with the estate administration. Sure, um, I mean, estate planning is really the process when you're still living to put together wills and trusts and set up your investments and um, property. So there's not a big mess and there's the best tax effect at your death. Estate administration is after your death, your family, your executor handling the estate and you want to, in the planning process, try to make it easiest possible for the administration so as not to leave behind a big mess for your family. So we're going to talk about some of the things you can do to make that possible and also some of the steps of the administration process itself. Well, that's terrific. So you tell us where you want to start. You want to start the beforehand or the afterward? Um, well, I think we could start with before. Okay, that's um, terrific. Uh, many people are really afraid of what they call the probate process. And that process in our state of Pennsylvania is not that difficult. But if you live in some other states, such as Florida, for example, New York, California, it, you really do want to avoid the probate process because of the fees that are involved and the legal work involved. Here in Pennsylvania, it's not as big a deal, but it's particularly not as big a deal if you have put matters in order and make sure your family have communicated to somebody who's going to be handling your estate where your assets are, how to contact your advisors, you know, what your bills are. Today, with everybody having everything on their computer, if someone doesn't have access to your email account where your bills come in, they've got a problem right from the start. I've heard that so before, not knowing mm -hmm. passwords and everything. How about New mm -hmm. Jersey? We got a lot of folks around here from New Jersey also. Is New Jersey yeah. similar to yeah. Pennsylvania? New Jersey's not, not as bad either as California or whatever. The, one of the reasons Florida is bad is that a lot of people move to Florida to avoid an income tax and inheritance tax. They don't have that, but where they get you is in probate fees. They got to get the money from you somewhere. Really? So, so New Jersey is not as bad either. That's very um, interesting. I've recently minimized their inheritance tax. They, New Jersey used to have an inheritance tax from property passed to your children. They don't have that anymore, which is wonderful. Right. Well, that's good. 
That's good. Well, I'm familiar with Pennsylvania's inheritance tax, too. So, um, and I've also seen uh, lots of war stories, so to speak, the good and the bad. Um, so when you're talking about preparing wills um, and the, the probate, probate is a very, um, you know, people fear probate. Oh, I don't want this to go to probate. Tell us a little bit about probate. What exactly is it? Probate is just where someone you've named in your will is appointed by the court to start handling matters for you. When you die and your accounts are in your separate name with no beneficiary on them, somebody has to be appointed to be able to have authority to go to the banks and financial institutions and the real estate title and have authority to transfer those things. Anything that is in joint name with someone else or has a beneficiary named on it like a retirement account is not going to go through probate. A death certificate presented at that time will get it over to the joint owner or onto the beneficiary. So those are not probate assets. Probate's really just things in your individual name with nobody else on there, nobody named transfer of death on the account. That's what's subject to probate. Your will controls those assets, not the beneficiary. There are no beneficiaries forms to control that. So how difficult is it for an individual to do it themselves? And what's the advantage of having a law firm like yourselves uh, assisting in the process? Many people do handle the actual probate process themselves. Here in Pennsylvania, it's a matter of just walking into the courthouse, takes 10 minutes with the will and an ID and a death certificate, and you've got the job. The more difficult part is preparing the inheritance tax return, taking the appropriate deductions on that, and maybe transferring title of assets with deeds and such. That usually involves it's going to, a lawyer, and they're going to do it more efficiently than you're going to do it and get better tax savings for you. But okay. the physical act of going into the courthouse, many people do that by themselves, and we encourage people to go ahead and do that. Well, it sounds like it can be very cumbersome. Now, I also understand, too, um, when it comes to probate, isn't there a requirement to post uh, so that if there's any creditors to the estate, they have 30 days? How does that work? Yes, it, um, you have to advertise the estate um, with a legal paper or a regular paper, and we usually choose the cheapest legal ones you can use, but you have to advertise it that you've been, the estate had, person has died and the estate's been raised, and the exact, uh, creditors have one year after the advertisement. One year? To present their claims, yes. If they don't present their claims within a year, they don't have a claim. So that sort of cuts off any creditor claims, particularly when you're not, don't know for sure what creditors might be out there. It's very important to do well, that. That's interesting because I thought, you know, just from my experience, that a lot of people are able to settle their estate much shorter than a year. So, oh, and they often do. And that's really the one year thing is more when you're not too sure who might be out there. This is where you don't, the person hasn't revealed a lot of information to you and you're not sure about things. Um, then you do that to kind of protect yourself as executor that somebody doesn't come back, you know, 11 months later and say, hey, you forgot about this credit card bill or, or uh, whatever. Generally, the credit card companies, once you probate, they, they know that uh, the person has died and they'll want to settle matters with you and maybe reach a settlement for a large, smaller amount than the debt. How do, you, how do they find out? I mean, when you um, reference when notification... Yeah, when you in the courthouse, they generally do. And, of course, when we handle the estate, we notify them because we want to get settled with them okay. and get, start moving things as quickly as possible to figure out what the deductions, what the creditors are, what the assets are, what the taxes will be. 
Well, you may do that, but I would think that the average person may look at it as an opportunity to escape a credit card debt. Right, right, and, and they don't. If, they, if you probate the will and you've been named as executor and there's a debt due and you don't pay it, that you can be personally liable for that if you've handed that money out to the beneficiaries. Oh, that so wouldn't be good. Very careful to make that determination before you start handing money out to beneficiaries. So it sounds like there's a lot of responsibility and potentially liability that lies in the hands of the um, executor. That's correct. You're accountable to all those beneficiaries. And if you don't handle it properly, you'd be called into court and you could be surcharged and fined by the court for not handling it appropriately and, you know, distributing money properly, paying creditors properly, that, you know, you have a lot of responsibility as executor to do it right. So let me ask you this. Um, this question has been asked of me because as a financial advisor and a financial planner, we talk to our clients about the estate planning process and we always refer to them to an estate attorney. But one of the questions they ask me that I don't know the answer is, is it better, worse, or tell me, they say, should I have more than one executor or executrix? For instance, they have three children. Is it good or bad to name one or more than one? What are the pros and cons? I urge people to pick one. They can have a backup name. If that person doesn't want it, you need a backup. If you have two executors, a number of financial institutions will not open an account for two executors because they don't want to have to keep track of two people signing every check, two people approving everything. Plus, if there's a, if they end up in a deadlock and they get at odds to each other, the estate grounds to a halt and nothing can happen without going to court and sorting out who's in charge. So I really encourage people to have a single executor. Interesting. Okay, but that may be different than I've heard with the medical power of attorney. Yes. Okay. So a medical power of attorney, do you think it's a better or worse idea to have multiple children named? Lots of people want to have on the medical power of attorney all the kids, for example, named and have it say majority rules. And then under that power of attorney, they each have the ability to talk directly to the doctors under the HIPAA laws and really feel a part of the process. So I don't have any problem with having multiple, but I do like the idea if there's more than one, that something about you not having a deadlock there. That, you know, two is a problem, three majority rules, that works. <laughs> two can be a problem because you're right, there's a deadlock there. So what yeah, if... Um, you want to be able to say either of them can act on their own in that case. So what else do you recommend for people who are um, figuring out, uh, again, on the will side before, mm -hmm. what are the things that they should consider or not consider? Well, I think everybody should go back and look at the accounts that they have and see whether they have another owner on there or whether the beneficiary they've named on a retirement account or life insurance or an account is who they want. Uh -huh. um, people forget sometimes what they did years ago on that. I had one with an ex-spouse on there and the money had to be paid out to the ex-spouse and the other family could sue that person, but they had creditor problems and... They didn't get the money back from the ex-spouse on the 401k account. It's funny so you it's say that. it's important to check on all that. Have in your mind, really, those things will go to those people, regardless of what the will says. So you need to really check those. That's where we see the most family fights is about. I thought I was just putting him on the account to help me pay bills. You know, mom didn't mean him to get that account. It was just to pay bills. But she didn't put him on as power of attorney. She put him as a co-owner, and he got that account.
It's funny you referenced that, and it's not funny either, because I've heard those stories before where um, someone, and, and it's very innocently, they, they name when they joined their company and named their 401k or a life insurance policy through the company or just a life insurance policy that they have from 20, 30 years ago, and it had ex-spouse. They don't have a leg to stand on, is what you're saying, and that's what I've heard. Right, that's true. And sometimes they've named, they want to, they had young kids and they thought, well, I'll name my brother Don and he'll take care of the kids because the kids are too young to have the money. Don gets the money. Right. And those kids are grown and you should have fixed it. You know, right. It's a problem. I've actually heard that before. In fact, I've had clients who have named their siblings for that very reason and I strongly encourage or discourage it or encouraged against it. Well, you know, of, of inadvertently forgetting to change the beneficiary. Well. I just encountered um, a client of mine had asked me about a close friend of hers who uh, has a really good friend, again, a friend of a friend of a friend, of course, that always works that way, but um, there are four children and the one is living with the mother and the mother passed away, but miraculously, the will now specifies that all the money goes to the one and not equally divided across all four, which is what all the siblings knew what their mother wanted. But now that their mother's passed away, how do they prove whether or not that the revised will is accurate? Right, Mike, that's such a common situation that you see ending up in court. It sort of depends on who I would represent there. Um, if mom came to me and said, I really want to name only my son who's caring for me because He's doing this, he's given up his job, he's doing all this work for me 24 hours a day. I say, well, okay, then we have to really work on making this a valid will with independent witnesses and medical testing, you know, medical reports saying you know what you're doing because there's gonna be a fight here. And maybe communicating the other kids ahead of time that that's what you want. On the other side, if you're the other kids, you're going to want to go to court and say, mom didn't know what she was doing. She was really under pressure from our brother who said, well, I'm going to pick up and leave here if you don't change everything over to me. And then you end up with testimony in court about her capacity at the time she signed the will. Did she understand what she was doing? Was she under pressure from that family member to change it over to him? And it's a very, very common problem. So it really depends on who I'm representing as to who, what advice I give in that situation. Of course. And so unfortunately, and this is the thing that I always say, you hate to have, it's funny how, funny is not the word, I keep saying funny. It, money can change people in a way that is not nice. And you certainly don't want to never have Thanksgiving dinner together again. So the other question that was asked, which also raises a great question, is if someone passes away and the family can't find the will, how do they go about finding it? If you know they know that they've had an attorney, the attorney may have passed away, closed up shop. How does one find a will? Well, uh, we have people call our office once a month saying, Dad died, he didn't tell me who wrote the will, I'm calling every office. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so... Yes, yeah, so we have those those little detective projects frequently. That's a, Communication is so important. 
so that these kind of things don't happen. Right. Tell the kids where the will is. But there also happens to be, has to be a lot of times when the children aren't nearby or mm -hmm. there may not be children. You just hate to see the money go nowhere. And if nobody really knows, then what? Well, nobody really knows that if they can't find the original will, it's presumed that either didn't have one or tore it up. The, the, per, the deceased, the person who died, tore it up. So then you go by the, the state law. I've only had one in all my years that every, the money went to the state of Pennsylvania, but it can end up with sort of obscure beneficiary nieces and nephews by law. The law says who it goes to if you don't have a will. Right, and that's what's called intestate, correct? Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, if you die intestate. And it may not end up at all to who you thought it would go to if you've finally gotten around to that will. Right. And, I, you know, that, that, but that can happen. Some, I had ones where they had a nephew and niece in Detroit. They, when I called them up, they thought it was a scam. They couldn't believe theirs inheriting this money. But I found them through Christmas cards in the house. I determined who they, the heirs were. And they got a lot of money because wow. there was no will, no spouse, no kids, no grandkids. It ended up with his random nephew and niece who sent a Christmas card. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I always like to say, as I recall, uh, certainly with Pennsylvania, there's a pecking order. And that yeah. Pennsylvania states, if someone dies without a will, you know, a certain amount goes linearly to the children, to the spouse, to the parents. Um, but I always like to, my first question when I ask people, do you have a will, if they say no, I quickly get chills. And I like to ask them the question, who do you want your assets to go to? Who you want them to go to or who the state decides they're going to go to on your behalf? And that usually will wake them up to get exactly. the job done. Every state has those laws as to where it goes. For example, if, you're, if you have a separate account and no will, you kind of think it would all go to your spouse. It does not. A portion goes to your spouse, a portion goes to your children. So that's Pennsylvania law, and often we have some problems with that because you didn't write the will and you, you should have, or put it in joint name. Yeah. So I've also encouraged, um, because of the estate process, you know, recognizing that um, those assets that are by beneficiary usually will take a couple or few weeks to get there and those assets that um, are held individually and it goes to the will it might take a couple months to get there i always encourage people to uh, have at least one account held jointly with one of their trusted children you know maybe five or ten thousand can you share your thoughts on that please um, I think that's fine as long as they understand it goes to the child. Um, a power of attorney on that account would accomplish the same goal. Have the child name power of attorney on that account. So at least they can pay your bills. And uh, But it does then shut down. The day you die, that power of attorney ends. And so there's a little gap there until your will is probated a week or two and someone can take charge and start using that account for bills. But the power of attorney also works, and then that doesn't pass to the surviving child. But certainly a small account joint works fine. Because yeah. then you have money available to pay the funeral home, for example. Well, and, and I typically will reference that or suggest that for people who may have simple estates. And mm -hmm. rather than going through the efforts of getting the power of attorney, just leaving a little bit. Uh, to the side, although I do understand the value of having a power attorney. In fact, can you share that, please? Because that is a very important component of estate planning. 
It is, and I, 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 many people will say it's more important for you than have a power of attorney than to have a will because the state, the way the state designs your estate, you're actually okay with who it's going to. But if you don't have a power of attorney and say you own a home and you become incapacitated, nobody can do anything about the deed to that house, maybe to sell it, to provide for your care or whatever, and you have to go to court and have a guardianship, which is expensive, it's public, then you've got the court involved in all the finances. And a power of attorney, which keeps it private in the family, is much less expensive and just a better, you know, better resource for you. And to, and to clarify, the power of attorney also um, goes away at death. And that's when it flips over. So the power of attorney is eliminated at death. So right. It's technically not effective. The day you die, that's cut off, and the estate executor picks up at that point. But they should be able to have a broad range of powers for you so they can step in your shoes and sign your, if you're sick for a long time, buy your taxes, pay your bills, handle your investments, manage your retirement account. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else, uh, again, I, I like to bring up pitfalls because the common pitfalls that you've come across as an estate attorney administering estates, what are some other pitfalls that you've found that would help people do it right beforehand. Um, trying to think of some others, because uh, the most common problem I have is communication, family not knowing anything, and having to scramble to figure out what's going on, and then accounts that weren't, you know, weren't going to the right people because you didn't do the work. Right. I think that communication piece is so important to help your family know, and things like um, burial wishes. Uh, sometimes we have families fighting about that because um, the mom or father didn't talk about what they wanted and their strong feelings. So that all should be communicated ahead of time to the family so they're not scrambling at a very difficult emotional time. I've also just remembered, uh, and correct me on this, that mm -hmm. if a person does not name a beneficiary to an IRA, then it automatically goes to the estate and is therefore required by rule to immediately be liquidated. Is that correct? Yeah, and all, well, what happens is all the income taxes be paid on. Exactly, the and then at the estate mm -hmm. level, then the mm -hmm. estate pays taxes at the highest tax bracket only once it reaches $12,000. Is that correct? Correct, whereas an individual would pay much less. So it's much better to have an individual named on there or a charity if you have a charitable right. interest. Right. Put them directly on there. Don't let it go to the estate. Are you ready for my biggest loaded question of the day? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so do you anticipate any federal estate tax law changes with the new administration? I, I assume, and who knows what will happen, that the exemptions will be lower again. They're scheduled to get lower in 2025, the end of 2025, but I can see that happening sooner. Now, that being said, everybody thought when President Obama came in that the exemptions would go down. They went up, part of a comprehensive tax compromise. So I don't want to make bets <laughs> on anything for sure. So what is it supposed to go down at the end when the um, tax laws sunset at the end of 2025? What is it set to go down to? To $5 million per person. It is, is $5 million. $10 million a couple. It's still a nice big number. Uh, it but is. Before that, it was three and a half million. 
and before that it was two, and then one, and I can remember when it was 600,000. I know, 675 is what I remember the first time, and then it started changing under the Bush administration. Well, Stacy, if you can believe it, we're already out of time. What I, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time today. This has been fantastic, and I hope everybody's learned something. If you could for a moment, I would like you to take a moment and just tell the viewers how they can get a hold of you. Okay, sure. I'm in a law firm called Lamb McElane, and we're in Westchester, Philadelphia, Newtown Square. I can be reached by phone at 610-701-4431, or I have a website at Lamb McElane, and um, you can email me at smcconnell at Lamb McElane. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about all these issues. That's wonderful. Stacy. thank you again for being a guest on my show. Absolutely fantastic. I greatly appreciate it. So thank you for joining us today. Estate planning, as we indicated, is one of the six areas of financial planning and one of the areas with which has a lot of different breaks and in, in, in pieces associated with it. And state administration, you know, again, nobody plans to fail. They fail to plan and properly positioning your estate with properly with your will with designating beneficiaries is going to make it so much easier on the back end please get a will and make sure that you notify where that will can be found to your beneficiaries let your executor or executrix know an executrix is the female version of an executor if you're not sure what that means so just be sure that as Stacy indicated, that it's important to communicate to your loved ones. Uh, communication is paramount. So make sure everything is in order so that it gets distributed properly and the way you want it distributed and not the way it gets distributed by the, uh, by the, pen, uh, by the state or you don't want any arguments to occur with your beneficiaries. So thank you again for joining me today, and I look forward to seeing you on my next show. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you.